Luton created carnage on a memorable night of absolute magic at Kenworth Road on Tuesday evening. It was a night full of emotion, full of wonderful football and full of everything we love about this club. To recollect that with me, I've got the Lutonian journalist, James Cunliffe. James, I'm not going to ask you how you are because that was pretty obvious from last night, but are you ready to go through it all again? Can't wait. Absolutely. Me neither. And we'll do that after this intro. Hello everyone, welcome along to another episode of the Luton Town Supporters Trust podcast. I'm Kev, as I said before the intro, I've got regular guest James Cunliffe alongside me and we're going to look back on a night that none of the near 11,000 inside Kenilworth Road will well, forget in a hurry if they ever forget it at all. James, it doesn't matter what bulbs you put in the floodlights at Kenilworth Road, as soon as that, flick, eh, that switch gets flicked, the magic just happens and... If we stay in the Premier League, there aren't many more midweek home games left at the old girl, but it's great to see that she still provides the magic when she's called upon. What a night. What a night. One of the best nights. <laughs> I, I think it's the best night. It's the best night I've had at the Kenny. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember a better one. Yeah, there were some cup nights way back in the day, but I mean, we'll go on to exactly who we beat, how we done it and everything in a minute. But in terms of what it all means in the bigger picture... I don't think there's been a better night of football at Kenilworth Road. You're having that over the Sunderland second leg. Yeah, I mean it was it was pretty special. Um, I've not seen anything like that, and I thought I'd seen a lot at Luton. Um, it, <laughs> just to, to for it to kick off that crazily, um, eighteen seconds, and then boom. Uh, Blue touch paper lit and wow, what a first half. What an overall performance. You know, 10 out of 10s all over the shop. And, um, you know, we were confident that this would be a victory. We've, we were confident that it would be high scoring, but I didn't see that coming. Not one bit. No, I said on Twitter after the game, it was the kind of one-sided beatdown that all the experts suggested we were going to take all season not dish out and that's exactly what it was but I mean before we even come on to the football we could all have walked off home at 20 to 8 because we'd seen what we wanted to see just the images of Tom walking around the pitch struggling his hardest to keep tears out of his eyes failing to keep tears out of his eyes just the emotion of that the occasion of it I mean we've said ever since that incident happened at Bournemouth football was insignificant and to see Tom back where we love him love to see him having seen him at the training ground the day before as well, was just brilliant. But then what the boys delivered in his presence was just, it couldn't be more fitting if it tried. No, everything about last night was absolutely perfect. Everything on the pitch, off the pitch, after it, before it. I mean, um, yeah, to have Tom out there, First time back at Kenworth Road and at Lap of Honour. Uh, it's great to see him, you know, back 
amongst the lads and stuff. Uh, I can't imagine the sort of boost it it, it gave them. That, they're that tight and that close that um, whether whether it spurred them on to do what they did or they were going to do it anyway is something that we'll never know. Um, but I'm glad it all happened as it did. Yeah, me too. Um, I don't even think Tom could have imagined the first three minutes that he was going to see of the game. But before before we touch on the game, team, as always, huge development when the team came out. After the best individual performance I've seen all season, Ted Amengi's had the day off and a slight knock that he picked up in that challenge that he did in the towards the end of that Everton game. Uh, so he missed out. Gabe Osho came in. I mean, Gabe Osho picked all of Ted and Mengi's powers up and just run with them in the course of the game. Uh, obviously, Kaminsky came back in as well. And maybe one surprise, Jordan Clark started the game instead of Andros Townsend. I think we all kind of expected Andros to start, but Clark started in that position that we spoke about behind the front two. And you have to say, Rob's got it spot on again. His team selection was fantastic, um, but it, it could have been one of those that you could have picked anyone and they'd have done a fantastic job because they were just right at it. And um, you know, Clark was one of the standout performers, but then that's a crazy thing to say because they were all standout performers. But he was, he was lively. He wanted to ball. He he, he played incisive passes. He chased back. It was. The Jordan Clark that we know he, he he always has been, but you know we'd waited so long for to see him in the Premier League, and he had that you know really dispiriting injury, I suppose, on the first on the last preseason game, and must have watched as they bought not bought but brought in Ross Barkley, Andrews Townsend, Sam Conga, thinking I'm going to get back into this side, and Jordan Clark showed. He deserves, in, he deserves to be in that side if he gets picked. Yeah, indeed. Two and a half minutes. Two and a half minutes of pure magic, wasn't it? Brighton kicked off. Within 10 seconds, we've got the ball off of them. And within another 10 seconds, the ball's in the back of their net. Some lovely incisive passing, actually, that Brighton themselves would have been proud of. Makes its way to Chio. Picks out the perfect ball at the back stick to... Um, Carlton Morris, Carlton Morris heads it down. Eli beats the goalkeeper, who had an absolute shocker of a night, has to be said, <laughs> but um, beats the keeper to the ball, nods it in, and we're on our way. 20 seconds in, ball hasn't even been in our half by this point, and they're kicking off for a second time. Um, just a, not one of the fastest goals in Premier League history, has to be said, which is incredible when you think it hit the back of the net after 19 seconds, but what a start. I mean, the atmosphere, the emotion and everything was there and then that just ramped it up another notch. Yeah, man, I was still eating a sandwich <laughs> when the goal went in. I mean, yeah, fast starts are impressive, but that was, I mean, Brighton, they just didn't know what hit them. I don't think, I didn't think anyone knew what hit them really. I mean, you know, the first goal went in, the second one went in before we'd even finished celebrating the first one. And then almost for like 15, 20 minutes, it was kind of like a stunned silence about what just happened because it was a phenomenal start with some wonderful football, great passing, um, calamitous goalkeeping. I mean, I don't care. I don't care if he's at fault for that one. He can do that all day long if if it it results in that. And 
uh, yeah, and and because Brighton was so good in the first game, you're thinking, well, maybe even two's not enough. That's old. That's got to be old thinking now. I mean, the way Luton played there, you go tune it up. You got to be pretty certain that that's going to be a result for you. You do. I mean, that second goal was a thing of beauty. We've waxed lyrical about Ross Barkley's passing range this season, but for Sambi Laconga to pick the ball up just inside our half. And he's been put slightly under pressure, not to the extent that we were putting them under pressure, but he was put slightly under pressure and he sees Chio and he just pings a 50 yard ball right into his stride. Even had a little bit of check on it just to take the keeper right out of the equation. Chio rounds the goalkeeper and then it's a foot race uh, that nobody's beating him to and simple tap in and absolute pandemonium. And Brighton still haven't touched the football in our half of the pitch at this point. 2-0 down, they're kicking off for a third time in two and a half minutes. And, um, I mean, I'd literally just sat down to, after stopping celebrating the first goal and Lakonga's sending the ball through to Chio and it's just, just pandemonium. It's absolute craziness in the kennel of end. And, um, even if you told me that that was the script and it was going to happen, I'd have been like, no chance. It's, it's not going to happen. But yeah, unbelievable. Um, but that pass though was just, I mean, chef's kiss, wasn't it? It really was. I mean, Sambi was stunning all night. Um, he picked up a booking um, for passing it back to Kaminsky and um, because he's so committed and just even passing a ball back to Kaminsky catches a Brighton player on the thigh and gets a booking, which I felt was a bit harsh, but probably if you look at the letter of law, it, it's probably about right. But he did nothing else wrong he did everything right and um what a player <laughs> i mean the fact that he got that hamstring injury and was out for almost two months you just think what where luton could possibly be um if if he was in but but that you know this evolution that we're talking about now this is the word the buzzword the evolution the progression it is so remarkable i mean even when we sat here in the preview and talked about it and 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 reasons why and and i bought it and i believed in it and stuff but to see it happen like that particularly when you've got the marker of that first game the curtain raise of your first ever premier league season and you get pretty comprehensively beaten and then to serve them and taste their own medicine (laughs) even more so that is a remarkable turnaround in anybody's books and i think you know as much as we can sit here and be positive about Luton's season and loads of other hatters are as well, I think that that's a sit-up-and-take-notice um, game for the rest of the world. I think already pundits are going, we might have got this wrong. And we're just sitting there going, yeah, we told you so. We absolutely did tell you so. And guess what? For the next 17 games, we're going to keep on telling you so as well. Absolutely. I mean, let's break it down how it was so different, right? So it was so different because in the first game, they pushed us back. We ended up with two banks of four on the edge of our box, not really knowing how to defend the wave after wave after wave of attack that came our way. So what did we do? We moved our defence right onto the halfway line. We went three three on three with them on the halfway line. So now all of a sudden their midfield has, and I, we kind of alluded to this in the preview, there was not going to be any space for them to play their fancy down stuff. But our midfield now can close down everyone because they're running 10 yards to press rather than the 25 yards that 
they were having to run down at the Amex to press. And um, every single time they had the ball, we forced them inside. Their two wing-backs were null and void. They both ended up getting substituted. One went after 20 minutes, 20 minutes. The other one went at half-time. He brought on the pacey guy to try and keep up with Chio in the second half. That weren't working either. Literally everything Deserby did, Rob Edwards had an answer for. And the reason why he had an answer for it largely was the risks, but the class of Reese Burke. Every single time that ball went anywhere near Pedro, who didn't fancy it, we knew he weren't going to fancy it. A second that you saw the team sheet, we were okay because he doesn't do it at this place. But every time the ball went near him, he was stepping in. He won the ball back for the first goal. He won the ball back for the second goal. Wave after wave after wave. In he goes, just gives the ball to the midfielders. Reese Burke. I mean, he must know that Ted Mengi was overtaking him in my favourite defender ranks. And I've been a <laughs> Reese Burke fan ever since he signed because he's gone again, Reese Burke. That was just truly magnificent last night against a guy who, you know, everyone's raving about his form. Tentatively, I'll say rightly so, because of, uh, you know, he just called a hat trick and everything. He did not fancy it, Pedro. He broke his will. He broke his heart. And eventually he just walked up and went off, didn't he, Pedro? And Reese Burke, hats off to you. That was brilliant. Yeah, man. It's one of the subplots that's so delicious, isn't it? That, that Pedro's twice come to Kenworth Road and he's had a torrid time both, both times. And yeah, Reese Burke was wonderful. Uh, Gabe Osho was faultless. Um, the, ho- the whole lot of them, they just did not give them a sniff. I mean, I think Welbeck had a sort of shot he pulled wide of the post in the first half. Uh, and then there was one in the second half that Kaminsky saved. Well, because, I mean, he, he he wanted that clean sheet. He deserved, he deserved that clean sheet. But other than that, that was just as imperious you, as you can get against a side that are so fluid and as you saw in the first game can hurt you in so many different ways and it they, they just didn't have an answer and that's what I'm talking about this turnaround it's like the stark contrast between the two games is is phenomenal and not, and honestly I think we're at the stage now that you know if if that was a foreign manager managing that game instead of Rob Edwards they'd have come up with some sort of fancy name for this style of play that he's got you know if Klopp's got heavy metal football gegen and pressing and Pep's got his tiki taka then Rob Edwards is starting to develop a style that somebody's gonna have to give a name to they are indeed yep I mean we weren't settled with 2-0 in the first half we had to go and make it three nearly made it three before we did Jordan Clark a lovely piece of play from Ross Barkley everyone's telling him to shoot Ross Barkley's the conductor of this orchestra. He'll do it his way. Found a lovely pass through to Jordan Clark. Cuts inside, shoots. I think everyone, and given what we've seen from the goalkeeper so far, everyone expected that to find the back of the net. Didn't really, really good save, to be fair. But then Barkley wins the ball back on the halfway line again. This is a familiar trend. Every single time the ball went near the halfway line, a Luton player would win it off of a Brighton player. 1-2 with Elijah. Credit to Elijah. He doesn't stand still. Ross Barkley goes forward. Is he going to shoot? No, of course he's not going to slide Elijah in. And the difference in Elijah from now to three months ago is portrayed in that finish. He waits for the goalkeeper to commit and then curls it around him, passes it in, wipes out dunk on the way to the celebration as well and then you kind of thought now we're safe 
I mean, he, Rob said it in his press conference. He he, he epitomises this change in Luton, this transformation in Luton, because you know he was he was great in that first full season um, for Luton, and then Carlton Morris comes in and he's virtually having to play second fiddle, and probably thought that was going to be the way it was going to go in the, the Premier League. And they both had a spell on the bench, and Adebayo is the one that's really taken the chance of the scruff of the neck. That's not to say that Morris hasn't now. I think they found a niche for him now, and and that's wonderful to get him in the side and and ha- and play him not necessarily alongside Adebayo, but in that slightly withdrawn role with Chio that we spoke about in the previous podcast. I think it's a masterstroke of a. a, a a tactic and a tweak that's that's working for more players, not just those two, but players that can fit in and and support. But you know, in front of goal, he's just now you just expect him to score. Whereas before, it was a bit of the Harry Cornicks where he's like, "Oh, he's through. Is he going to score? I oh, don't know." But now it, it's nailed on, and that that finish for the second one where he went near post um, was as clinical as you can get, really, and. I'm so pleased with him, pleased for him because you mentioned obviously Pedro. That's a thirty million pound Brazilian striker, and Adebayo cost twenty nine million seven hundred fifty thousand pounds less than that. Eight goals this season and a first and first hat trick in the Premier League. And that hat-trick goal came via João Pedro, who I have to say at that point, Bedfordshire police were filing a missing persons report <laughs> because he was nowhere to be seen at all. But there he was, he popped up, couldn't get his head on anything else. So he got his head on Alfie Doughty's corner, pinged it across the box and they're queuing up to be fair, but no one marks Elijah Adebayo. I mean, how Brighton can not mark Elijah Adebayo after the first half beyond me. But he had a clean run on goal. He's not going to miss from three, four yards out or whatever it was. And then he's off into the corner for a hat-trick. First hat-trick in the top flight since our friend Lars Elstrup in 1990 against Norwich. And yeah, like you say, there's no no more deserving person to score that hat-trick than Adebayo. His sixth goal in seven starts in the Premier League, which in itself is crazy. Like you say, eight overall this season. Would have been nine had the Bournemouth game not have been scratched. I mean, Erling Haaland come back on Wednesday night. He's got a six-goal head start on Eli, but I'm kind of fancying Eli to catch him at some point. The rate he's scoring at, it's uh, incredible. But we had to get in on the act with the set pieces, didn't we? We've played this brilliant football in the first half, but we'll just remind everyone, just the other string to our bow as well, in the second half. There are so many different ways that Luton can hurt you now. If if, if people were just saying, well, they are just a set-piece team, no, no, that's a big weapon. They can play down the middle and open you up. They can get down the wings and open you up. Um, the one thing we're missing is that two inches shorter of the Ross Barkley shot against Newcastle and you know someone to ping one in from 25, 30 yards and then you've got the full range really. But um, it, it's it's such a joy to watch now. It's, it, it, it feels like goals are there all the time which is going to be really interesting in our score predictions for the games coming up because I think we were going ones and twos before. and Legitimately, I think you can go much higher now because in the, even the first half, you go in 3-0, you've only had four chances, you've scored three of them. It's it's, clin- it's clinical stuff that just wasn't there before it, and it, that's a lot of what people were 
probably saying, well, they can play well, but when they get in the final four, they haven't got the quality and that's why they'll go down. But suddenly they have now got the quality. And, um, you know, Adebayo is, uh, he's, he's loving life really. He's a, he, he's always has been a confidence player and his confidence must've been rock bottom after that Tottenham miss, which, um, you know, he spoke to me afterwards and he was very candid about, and, um, yeah, I mean, I spoke to him after this game as well, and he referenced that that point and uh, sort of the work that he's been doing to to get where he is now. Yeah, the change is uh, incredible. Huge credit to Eli himself, to the coaching staff who've done it, and to the team around him because you know they help him, they get him in them positions, and uh, fantastic. I mean, just prior to Eli scoring, we thought we'd got a fourth. Jordan Clark just millimeters offside, but is offside uh, after another flappy goalkeeping display from a Morris shot that he pushed straight out to Clark to tap in. Often at 4-0, teams let up, don't they? Especially when they've got a big game on Saturday. Not this Luton team, though. 4-0 up, Gay Boschio's busting a gut to keep a ball in and stop it going out for a throw-in in our half of the pitch. Andros Townsend, by this time, has come onto the pitch and he's chasing defenders like he's doing the 100-metre sprints. Mm-hmm. It is unbelievable. We've put Carlton Morris through. Uh, good save from the goalkeeper. It could have been 5 as you say, Kaminsky largely could have been set up with me in the kennel offend and, um, you know, made a, go- a good save, to be fair, from Welbeck. I don't know how Lamptey's missed the follow-up, but I'm glad he did because we deserved that um, clean sheet. But 1-11, to 11, and then the five subs, all absolutely brilliant. And if the night couldn't have got any better, in true Luton style, Luke Berry replaces Ross Barkley. Now, if you'd said to me six years ago, Luke Berry was going to place Ross Barkley in a league game, I'd have been like, what planet are you on? But he did, and he th- there was no drop-off once Barry came on the pitch, and um, it just shows that everyone's risen their levels, largely because of Barkley, Laconga and Townsend and the standards that they're setting. But everyone can now see, do you know what? We can cope in this league. We're fine in this league. Let's express ourselves. And Rob's obviously allowing them to express themselves. They're happy to take risks. They're happy to face the consequences should they lose the ball. And it's it's just so good to watch. When you know, we, the pundits keep calling us direct old Luton, but we're not direct old Luton no more. In fact, I'd wager more long balls came from Brighton's defenders and goalkeeper yesterday than Luton played in the entire match. And that has to be the biggest change from the start of the season to now. Brighton, most possession in the Premier League this season playing more long balls to nobody. It's not like they're playing them to Eli and Morris. They're playing them to Pedro, who don't fancy it, and Welbeck, who can't do it. Unbelievable. I mean, we wanted to know exactly how much we've improved, but I don't think anyone really really realised we've improved that much until we saw it with our very own eyes. And this is the thing about the the, the way that they're changing, because Luton have always been, you know, ever since the Championship, quite comfortable that they could win games without having to have the ball. And then the three games before the Brighton game, the Premier League ones anyway, they had the most amount of possession. So there's your first indication of the way that this team are moving. But that doesn't take away the fact that if that doesn't happen, which it didn't against Brighton, they had still had the most amount of possession. Yes, like you say, didn't do anything with it. But um, when that doesn't happen, yes, they can go quick and direct. And just the ability to be able to mix that up is exactly what you need for for top 
like football because if you just play the one way you'll get you'll get found out and um you know to a certain extent perhaps brighton did on that game because they the way they play and the success they've had in recent times they'll be sort of going to anywhere thinking we'll impose that game of football on everyone else and we'll take our chances that way but Luton aren't going to let you play whatever whatever game you want. I mean, they didn't let Man City do it. They're not going to let Brighton do it. No, they're not. Uh, Brighton and teams of that ilk, they require space, don't they? And they got no space from minute one to minute 90. The work rate of this side, incredible. I mean, we referenced it in the last podcast, the sports science. I mean, normally we have to rely on late goals, don't we? For the first time in the Premier League, we've scored twice in the first 15 minutes. Not not happy with one. We'll have the London bus phobia and uh, get two in the first 15 minutes this season. But we were still finishing the game as fresh as a daisy, weren't we? And that was with five substitutions as well. And it's great that you can use the squad and there'd be no drop-off. I mean, okay, you're 4-0 up. But, I mean, if you think back to the last home Premier League game, Chelsea were 3-0 up and they had a right old scare by the end of it. So for the fact that we can make so many changes against you know a side who might have had a bad day at the office but that was only because of the way we played they're still a classy side I mean they're third favourites to win the Europa League this season they've already beat Ajax they've already beat Marseille they've already beat AEK Athens this season that's a standout win it really is and that's why when you asked me earlier was it better than Sunderland in Sunderland we just overpowered them with our height and our physicality and everything else they were you know small side and they knew it this time we out-footballed a football inside in a manner that this quickly I never thought we would be able to do in the Premier League. No, I'm I'm the same as you. I, I thought that Luton could win this because the form they're in, the confidence they're in, but to do it in the manner they did is something, it's just exceptional really. And um, the only thing I guess from now on is that you hope that they can do it more. I mean, I think that people are going to have to understand that there may be the odd slip up here, but really Luton's form has been on the upward trajectory for a long while. It's just that teams above them have done a point here or three points there just to keep their necks above water. But, you know, the psychological boost of dropping Everton into into the drop zone and, and, and getting out with a game in hand in the form that they're in is significant, I think. Um, you've obviously got to go away to Newcastle and that will be a, a tricky one, but no fear again because beat them at Kenilworth Road. And all of a sudden, you're, you, you're, you know, we were very confident that this could be the season that Luton do avoid the drop and, and you know, upset the apple cart. And, and that is there still, but, in in so much more of a positive way and I didn't even think that that was possible no I didn't either I mean I said it in the preview podcast I come away from Goodison Park more confident that we'll stay up I mean if we've got those performances in our locker I don't see how we don't stay up from here on in Wilco referenced it when we had him on the podcast recently our home games in the second half of the season are infinitely easier on paper than the first half of the season. I mean, if you're looking at the top six right now, it's only Aston Villa that have got come down here and their away form's nothing to write home about. So it, it's all there for us to stay up just using our home form. But I actually think we're going to go away from home 
and start picking up more points now just because of this change in formation this this sort of box of four in the center the two behind the strikers and the two midfielders that are just in front of the defenders there's no way through now and as as we've said in years of this podcast you put the ball out wide and stick a ball in the box well that's me and drink to osho to lock you in in the past to burke to bell who i have to say is coming on leaps and bounds in that left um, center back position we we really are looking so so good you can't pass through us anymore and we're starting to dictate the play an awful lot more and Okay, Saturday might be difficult, but then you look beyond Saturday. You've got Sheffield United coming to town. You've got Man United coming to town. We're going to see again just how far we've um, improved, not against Sheffield United, but against Manchester United. Aside of that ilk, and already I can't wait for that game, and it's just going to be fantastic. And like you say, the cherry on the cake last night was we're out of the bottom three. We've got this game in hand. We're out of the bottom three. Everton are struggling for goals. I mean, Fulham hit the crossbar last night. Could have been even better, but that's being greedy. Notts Forest are stuttering again. And they've got this cloud hanging over them as well with the points deductions. But the big thing is, I think we stay up now without points deductions. I really do. And um, even two months ago, as much as we thought we could, I don't think there was a yes, we will. But I think now, yes, we will. I, I totally agree with you. I mean, it, it it's really hard to put into words, isn't it? How remarkable this currently is. And you've got to savour it right now because you don't, you don't know what's going to happen, but you do know that they're going to put in that level of effort, whether there's, whether the quality and the clinical finishing there is, is there again in the same way. It remains to be seen, but they will put that level of effort. They've only lost one in the last eight games, albeit in all competitions. And that one game was against Chelsea and should have got something out of that game. That's not the form of relegation fodder. And and I think the rest of the world are starting to starting to take notice. And hopefully they don't take so much notice that they try and work out how to stop this new this new formation and this this party from going on because Oh, it's from everything we've witnessed for years now, certainly since doing this podcast, it, it it's it's beyond it's beyond words how good this this team is and still can be. Yeah, it is, and I mean the new formation. We mentioned it in the preview. We said to watch out for it. It worked perfectly last night. Every single time Barkley got the ball there was either Clark or Morris right in front of him to give it to and then play off of him. Every single time Lekonga got the ball, the defenders were near him. And also for the second goal in particular, where we're seeing this, Chio has an ocean of space, but it all happens before then because Clark freezes the left back just by finding a little pocket of space. And the left back thinks, oh no, is Sambi going to pass this into Clark? In which case I've got to be on my bike to be up Clark's sort of backside when that ball goes to him so he's frozen for just long enough for Chio to nip in behind him and Sambi knows the runs coming because that's what they work on ball over the top left back can't get back once Chio's passed you've got no chance anyway and there's a goal and it's something as simple as Clark just standing still and finding a little bit of space 
they don't know who should be picking him up because their two central midfielders have been told Barkley and Sambi are the ones that you've got to stop. They're not worried about Jordan Clark. But then when it's playing out in front of them, suddenly they are worried about it. And I mean, Chio had half of Kenilworth Road to himself, didn't he? And that is just simple tactics devised on a training ground with loads of hard work. And when it comes off like that, that formation change in an instant makes all the dividends. And it just shows Rob Edwards to be the absolute standout coach that he is. And the two alongside him, I should say. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, it's simple stuff, but it's also, uh, in in terms of Clark, that's a, that's masterstroke stuff because you're right. I think we were surprised to see him. You can bet your bottom dollar that Brighton probably surprised to see him. But when he's there and on the pitch, he's such a clever, intelligent footballer. And he doesn't get the credit. He, well, he does He does in this room. And, and he doesn't get the credit, wider speaking, that, that he that he should because he's he's a very talented footballer and Luton are very lucky to have him. Absolutely, yep. And then as again, uh, with regards to the formation change, you saw how it works for goals one and three. One player wins the ball back. Suddenly, there's four, four or five to play off, and there's men in the box. You go back to if you look back to the um, away games at Aston Villa and Manchester United, we were crying out. We were desperate to find a way to close the 40-yard gap between Morris and the midfield. Well, that's how we've done it. Gone and shoved two more people, albeit in behind Adebayo, gone and shoved two more players in behind him. And that's how they've closed the gap. And now when Luton go forward, Chio or Alfie, they're aiming for three in the box. You know, the other, the winger of the other side, Morris, Clark, Adebayo, they're all getting in the box. And now all of a sudden your crosses are, they don't have to be as good because more people are running onto them. They're still fantastic, but they don't have to be as good. And that's the difference. And that's why we're scoring goals. More goals than Manchester United this season now. If you'd said that to me at any point, I'd have been like, what's going on here? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that is a ridiculous stat, isn't it? <laughs> when we pinched their best defender off them for nothing, <laughs> and now we're scoring more goals than them. Uh, I mean... I can't wait for them to come to Kenilworth Road, really, because they will not fancy that one bit. They could only sneak a 1-0 up at their place and probably should have been a bit more... Luton should have got something out of that. Then, yeah, to for anyone to come to Kenilworth Road after witnessing what Luton did to Brighton last night, and actually, to be fair, pretty much every other team um, since Arsenal, Liverpool... Um, no one, no one will want to come, and that's that's after them not wanting to come because of all the usual reasons of walking through somebody's garden and the closeness and old-fashioned stadium, people being on top of you and that sort of stuff. Um, we knew it'd be a strength. Um, <laughs> I think even I think even Kenilworth Road was a little bit shocked yesterday for for a period. Yeah, no, I was. Um, absolutely, it's. It was a night I'll never forget. If you were there, you'll never forget it. You know, particularly after the drubbing that we took on the opening day. And yeah, okay, it wasn't as bad as it seemed in the fact that we were only 2-1 down with five minutes to go or whatever. But let's be honest, the wave after wave after wave of attack, they could have had 20 if they'd wanted to. It was just... But the fact that we turned it on its head in just such a style was just brilliant. Uh, Eli Adebayo. As I said, first hat-trick scorer in 30, well, near enough 34 years. 
uh, in the top flight for Luton. His first Premier League hat-trick, his first hat-trick at league football at any kind, actually. Uh, Non-league football was the last time he scored a hat-trick. And um, James caught up with him after the game. And here is what he had to say, particularly reflective of his teammates. And then, as you'll hear slightly uh, later on, um, the difference between now and that time where he missed that chance against Tottenham. Eli, first Premier League hat-trick. You're not so dreamt about these days, this night. Yeah, um, for many years, many years. Um, it's a fantastic feeling um, for myself and for this team um, because I couldn't have done it without them. And I'm so proud um, of everyone today, including yeah. the fans that are fantastic. And uh, yeah, we know what this place is like under the lights. Um, it's a it's, it's fantastic place to come. And it's a hard place to come. But yeah. Uh, what dreams are made of? You're, you're right. I'm, I'm so proud. 18 seconds. No, I keep it short. No, I haven't. So, um, yeah, it was kind of like a blistering start and we're going to get the second not long after. And it's, yeah. it's almost like, okay, cool. We need to keep, um, our, our foot on the gas here and go and get more mm. because we could smell it. And it was just about, putting that into practice. Two minutes and 17 seconds, that oh, second goal. So mm. two and up. Very quick. But it's sort of a clinical display for you. Three nil up by half-time and then four chances, scored three of them. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, you're going to have to repeat that because now I've, I've lost my train of thought. So, so what did you say? It's just very clinical. You had four chances, scored three of them in the first half. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> I, guess I think I was here not long ago Um earlier in last year um, where I missed a few chances and I said to you that it's about getting the next one and making sure that you put the next one away and Uh, nights like tonight it shows that the training what we're doing um, and having that self-belief in not only myself but this group that we can or I can be clinical in front of goal and again I'm I'm so proud of that That's a match for me Pelly Roddick's got it (laughs) (laughs) It's not his. It's not his. Yeah. It's not his property. Where, where are you going to keep it when you get it back? Um, if you get it back. If I get it back, obviously, I will frame it and put it somewhere nice on the mantelpiece in, in my house. But, um, yeah, again, it's a it's a special day um, for me. Uh, I, I, I'm so proud of not only myself, but, like I said, this group and Locks being there as well. Um, it was fitting that he was here and he witnessed such a fantastic display from the boys so that one was for him and in a way it's a, it's a game and a point of the season where you can look back at the start of the season and you see just how much of an evolution and how quickly it's happened for Liv- 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 May because they've beat you 4-1 in their place you've beaten 4 now here yeah and from the start of the season the gaffer said straight away we're going to have to learn and we're going to have to learn fast if we want to stay in this division and We've come on leaps and bounds since that first game of the season. Um, we've still got a lot more learning to do. Um, and that will keep us in good stead if we, or when we want to we wanna stay in this division. So, um, yeah, it's learning. And even today, having won 4-0, four, four it's still about learning. There was things from today's game that we will take um, to then try and implement in the next game and the next game after that. But again, we've just got to take it game by game. Um, got another important long away trip um, at St James's Park, so we'll take what we've what we've done today and and put that in for the next game. 
We really can't speak highly enough of Eli Can we? Ever since he joined this club, we were excited about it two years ago, uh, three years ago, however long it was. And um, he just keeps on improving. He keeps on going, doesn't he? And as he said, you know, in his non-league days, he dreamt of nights like that. And uh, to see it come to fruition, just brilliant, really. It's brilliant because he's a he's a top bloke, um, really. I mean, every time we've ever spoken to him, and, and even then after the game, um, he's so eloquent about the game and how he has to tackle it and, and to improve. Obviously, speaking about the probably the lowest point of his season, was that Spurs game where he missed that and obviously some terrible, terrible abuse afterwards, which we don't condone and nobody should have to put up with. Since then, having had to spend six games starting on the bench, albeit he came off the, off the, uh, in the first game after that and scored uh, against Forest, but he's had to bide his time. And then when he gets his shot against um, Arsenal, goal. Next game, Man City goal. And and that's the that's the confidence of it, but it's also the team doing more to present him with the chances because it was a you know yeah he had to he had to put it away against um, City for example, but it's a great cross from from Townsend. So that, that's more about the team understanding what he needs to be a good striker. Not that he wasn't anyway, but the. The possibilities for him going forward, now that he's established himself, now that he knows he can be a Premier League striker, because I'm sure even if you're the most confident player in the world, everybody would have questioned, can I do it in this division? It's just normal, natural stuff. I think they're all realising now they can do it. And Adebayo epitomises the uptick in in performances, in, in results, in quality, because he's mirroring it in his own personal game. And um, yeah, it's it's a fantastic thing to see and probably in a, in a sort of wider sense, just a really big example to any would-be footballer that, you know, you, you might not be straight in the top league. You might not be an elite player straight away, but you can get there. And he's showing it. But then so are so many others. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Arsenal, Man City, Chelsea, Brighton. It's not a bad quartet to score against, is it? And uh, there's going to be plenty more that Elijah Adebayo notches against uh, this season before we're done and dusted. That much is for absolutely certain. Let's hear from the man who made it all happen last night, Rob Edwards, uh, full of class, full of dignity and full of delight over the performance that his boys put in and my well, how he should be. Here he is. It was a good night for us, wasn't it? Started with Locks going out and seeing the fans. Fans have been able to show their love and support and appreciation for him. And then we went and delivered a great performance. Um, so I'm really proud of everyone and a really good night for us. You try and start aggressively and on the front foot, but we got a, we got a great start with goals as well. I still think, though, when you go up against the top team, and Brighton are that, that they're dangerous. And, you know, we scored two in two minutes, so why can't they? And we've been punished this year, you know, quickly. By, by other top teams so it was important that we kept our foot down and kept trying to do the right things and that was what was really impressive about us tonight we were relentless we didn't come off and game plan was great the boys committed to it um, there was nothing really that they did that surprised us I thought our plan was really really good uh, the lads were were excellent tonight but it's good I mean look, it's, it's still only three points 
it's it's good for again our confidence our belief I don't think we I think we played well I think we played well for a long time now I know tonight I'll get more headlines because of the result who it's against I, I get that but um, the performances have been good tonight we were just we were ruthless and um, maybe we could have been a bit more ruthless actually we could, I think we could have had other um, could have been better at times so I was still a little bit still jumping around at 4-0 because you know we, could have, we got a little bit sloppy at times but um, uh, tonight it was it was, a, it was a great night for us but in the end it's just three points we've got to keep our foot down we can't come off it um, every day in training every game every time we go over that pitch we've got a bit of full tilt otherwise we've got no chance um, I think we're showing that at the moment that's been again a good, good period for us really um, but yeah over the last couple of days the win at Everton um, locks in a round um, which was brilliant Ashik, uh, you know, got a great. I've been told, Stu told me, a brilliant um, ovation at half time as well, and then the yeah the performance and the result. So, been a good few days for us. But we're going to Newcastle away next, so that's what I'm thinking about now. We I saw a um, post from BBC Sport where obviously Chris Sutton was on Radio Five Live last night, and he said if Rob Edwards keeps looting up, he should be Manager of the Year. I I I would agree with that wholeheartedly I would just go a little bit further and they should make Garth Crooks give him his manager of the year trophy because if he keeps us up whatever happens at the top of the table he's won the league hasn't he I mean yeah that that's that doesn't tend to be how that award works but it should be if that happens um and the Garth Crooks thing is just symptomatic of people who have spent far too long mixing it with the high ploy of the top flight and not really understanding a club like Luton. I don't particularly blame him. He's old school, just sort of does it by the numbers. But I think it does now show that nobody understands Luton outside of Luton (laughs) as fans. I think maybe they're starting to now. But that level of underestimation is something that you can thrive on, I think, because, you know, they will talk about, well, they did come up on on penalties in the playoffs and playoff teams usually struggle and that stuff. That may be true. But this team have not done it the same way or as, as other clubs for so many years now. And they'll get the credit in small circles, but on the wider picture, as shown by Garth Crooks' statement earlier in the season, which is now, which has immediately proved to be nonsense anyway, because it was numerically illiterate about going down by Christmas, but is now just so wide on the mark, it's absolutely laughable. And um, yeah, the more people that get on board the, the Luton train and 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 Rob Edwards, uh, and his and his talents. Hopefully, not until like Liverpool's got themselves a new manager and stuff like that. But um, this is what Luke, this is what they signed him for. It's what they got Rob Edwards in for. It's why his little foray down the road meant nothing really, because his quality at Forest Green and his ability in the England setup, all these things, is what Luton looked at, and they got it right. They did. My word, they did. Manager of the year or not, 
we've spoken, we've we've done this Ross Barkley, Ricky Hill, best player for Luton thing. At which point do we start with the Rob Edwards, best Luton manager of all time talk? Because if he's not there yet, and David Pleat's the benchmark, isn't he? We had to, we've had Tony on the podcast loads of times in pre- previous seasons talking about the 81-82 title winning season and then 82-83 when we stayed up on the last day and that jig and everything else. That's the benchmark, really. At which point do we start talking about Rob Edwards being Luton's greatest ever manager? It's it's one of these pub debates that you can't ever get a consensus on because the older heads will say, no, but Luton were in the top flight for 10 years then and they had the greatest team and they won the Littlewoods Cup and had England internationals. And all of that is absolutely true. And then the younger generation will come along and countenance and say, but football is so much more intense and um, speedy and the, the players are better. Back then, there weren't that many foreign imports into the Premier League and now it's the best of the best in this in this league. So they'll look to that and say, you know, if you're doing it in the Premier League now, then you, you're you're better than then and, and you'll, you'll never come to a consensus over it. But I think... And there will also be people that look at the statistics and say that, you know, pound for pound, Nathan Jones has got like the, the best win percentage. But then you're looking at, he did it in League Two and, and, and League One. Rob Edwards has come in and taken on a club that could have gone the other way because of Nathan Jones went the right way this time. But it's hard to replace someone like that. And it's almost like nobody remembers him anymore which is in the grand scheme of things a disappointing of him because he was good when he was good but Rob Edwards has come in and got the team to the Premier League for the first time and been you know the the face the mastermind behind it I know he'll credit all of his backroom staff and rightly so because there's a lot of them and if you know even when we're talking about set pieces Anna McCormack and and his team that work on those. There's so much more that goes into it, but I don't think any other manager can can compete on what he's doing to, to take Luton from where they were to where they are now. I don't think people can understand the scale of that. And maybe they won't for a long time. Hopefully it keeps improving. Hopefully that gap from where they were to where they are or where they're going keeps widening because it's going to be great for us on the pitch but maybe it's a hindsight thing you have to look back at at it after a number of years and see that because right now in the eye of the storm it feels amazing but I can understand that people might go it's a bit too soon to talk about that yeah fair enough I mean John still will always be the most important manager in this club's history for that conference winning season none of this remotely possible without that John still um winning season he'll always be the most important for starting this journey off I don't think it's too far away before we start crowning Rob as the greatest manager of in Luton's history I really don't he's got us to the promised land the promised land that's paying for our new stadium that's securing our future that's you know giving us world-class footballers to watch on a weekly basis and yes Pleat was brilliant and yes we were we were underdogs then as we are now but 
you know, and I, I know people don't like to hear it, but football is different now. It, it just is. And, um, you know, for all that Pleat was great and those two seasons were fantastic, at no point did he come up against £100 million footballers or anything in the sort of equivalent version of. And we're doing that every other week. And now we're starting to thrive in it. And, you know, he's... Forget the fact that he's an incredible human being, just the coaching side of it, the improvement we just saw it in our own, with our own eyes on Tuesday night is just amazing. And this isn't improvement over four, five, six seasons, the long, longevity that we had under David Pleat. This is improvement over four, five, six months. Mm. Yeah. It's unbelievable what Rob's doing. It really is. Yeah. And that's what I mean when you put it like that. There'll be people that will agree with you. Um, and I'm not saying I disagree with you. I mean, I've got probably a foot in both. Well, you probably as well. We're, we're both getting on, let's be fair. We've got a foot in both of those camps because our, our age, we remember a long, long way back. And and uh, not not to deplete doing the jig. We, I was only in nappies back then. But um, um, yeah, we've, we've seen... We've seen that, we've seen the lower leagues, we've seen the non-league and now we're up to the Premier League and you're competing against the top six sides, played against them all. None of them have battered Luton, as everyone was predicting. And that in itself is something. But then to now continue this evolution, not revolution, where they are going to these teams or they are coming here and you're expecting to get something. I, I I don't think that that can be measured. That is, that's an incredible thing. And I, I hope people don't get used to it, honestly, because it, it's an, it's a wonderful feeling to, to be in that position of, of thinking, yeah, well, Man United are going to be here in two weeks time. They better be worried. Oh, they had. That's for sure. Yeah, last night, absolutely magical, memorable before the game, very much during the game. And actually, James, we should reference at half time in the game as well. My happiest blokes I've ever seen in Luton did a tour of the pitch. Don't worry, he didn't uh, invade the pitch or anything like that. It was our new sign in, Daiki Hashioka, who actually speaks much better English than I thought he was going to, having watched that um, interview that the club did with him. I mean, if he's as good a footballer as he is a happy chap walking around, clapping the fans, we're going to have ourselves a nice, exciting right back there. I've got a really great gut feeling about this. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to claim I know anything about his um, form or his club. And I I don't know anyone that has ever come to me and said, I tell you what, did you watch that game in the Belgian league? No one. And there'll be people out there that claim to know loads about him. Maybe they've looked at stats and stuff, but they don't tell the full picture. But what I do know is from the evidence of my own eyes, him being a Japanese international, the way that Japan attacked the last world cup uh, was so Luton. It's unbelievable. You know, went up against Spain, beat them. Went up against Germany, no bother. And that's because they, none of them were the superstars. They were all a team that did a job. And I think from that experience and seeing that, I think you can bet that a, a Japanese international 
is going to come into that side, that squad. And when he's told to do X, Y, and Z, he will do that without any question whatsoever. And he'll carry out those instructions. That is what everyone else in the Luton team is doing right now. And so I think he'll fit right in. It remains to be seen, but I really do have a good gut feeling about it. And I think he, the look on his face, thought he's landed on his feet here because... Well, he thought he was watching the league leaders, didn't he? The way we played in that first half. He thought, my well, word, that's time for yeah. peak Barcelona. He's coming on at half time when you're 3-0 up against <laughs> a, a very, very good Brighton side who he must know somewhat because Matoma, Matoma yeah. um, is in, in is in them. So, um, they, you know, footballers talk. They must they must know something about them. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not basing it on anything that I've seen, just things that I know. Uh, anything I've seen about him, so just things that I know about um, Japanese football and their general attitude, their sheer work rate. I think he's going to be, you know, at, at very least a, a seven out of ten sort of player. Um, and who knows after that? Yeah, he'll have to fit in like all players do. And you can, you've, we've seen with the exit of Ryan Giles that sometimes th- some some things just don't work out, but. Um, yeah, it's just a gut feeling at the moment. I think it's going to be a good one. He's also got very, very good hair. <laughs> I bet he has got very good hair, hasn't he? I was jealous of that as it was parading his way around and he was so happy in front of the Kenworth End, wasn't he, with his scarf in his hand, getting all the pictures and everything. I'm thinking, you do realise, mate, you're going to have to work your balls off to get in this team first and foremost, you know? Chio's absolutely doing brilliantly. Obviously, is going to be back for Saturday and just fantastic yeah the options down that right hand side now going to be really really good and uh, yeah like you I've I've got a feeling he's going to be a, a really good signing very young still you know uh, I think he's 24 uh, perfect age really to he's, be coached he's pure Luton profile in the yep. uh, in the recruitment states he is young hungry obviously talented if he's a Japanese international probably desperate to prove himself he's already said he had a dream of playing in the Premier League you know, he's he's now at a Premier League club. That's probably why he looks so happy. Premier League wages. Let's not let's be, not beat around the bush. That's going to be, uh, you know, probably better than the, the the Belgian Super League. We we don't know, but you would assume so. But he's he fits. He, he's almost like the archetypal Luton recruit, isn't he? Out from nowhere, nobody knows who he is. Got him for peanuts, and you can mould him into a top player and he's ours or he will be once he's got his visa and his international clearance and everything that would probably suggest we're not going to see him for a week or two or a little while depending on how long this government take to oh um, god yeah i hope it's just a week or two don't piss this up the ball hey, rishi sunak and co <laughs> but once we do we i wish sure to um see an exciting talent that's for sure um brilliant couple of days on the pitch for our town and a brilliant couple of days off the pitch for our town as well, because there I was Monday morning minding my own business. <laughs> and all of a sudden, Radio 1 have popped up in town. <laughs> Not just in town, but they're outside the Kenorth end. And you're like, what the f*** are they doing in Luton? They're only announcing a massive worldwide music festival is going to pitch up in our town at Stockwood Park. Stupidly, they've coincided it when we're all going to be at the FA Cup final. But apart from <laughs> that... 
What a coup for our town that is to get the Radio 1 Big Weekend three-day music festival in our town. That's unheard of. It is, and that's the effect of Premier League football, I think. Um, and you have to say that the, the council um, do some good things. They do some ter- not so good things, but they've got a 2040 plan for Luton to improve it. And I know people poo-poo it and say, that's a long time, you don't see a lot of changes. And sometimes you don't because they're very incremental. But this is a this is a sea change for Luton because they they punch so far below their weight or we punch so far below our weight in in so many aspects you know not in football now and now not in music because it's one thing to say oh this band are playing in a pub and stuff like that we don't have the infrastructure yet in Luton. We're not a, like a big city. It's not. A, it's not a huge music and entertainment town. But you need something to be the spark to change that, and that very well, very well could be. Um, I, I'm yeah. I hope it goes really well. More than that, where's my camera? I hope I get some tickets because I'm sure my kids want to go. And um, it's my local park as well, so I must be one of those local residents that get the sniff, don't I? So. Um, yeah, it's 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 a great coup for the town. In yeah, it's just been an absolutely magnificent week for Luton and Lutonians, music and football, and love and romance. <laughs> <laughs> you can have the tickets for that. I'll have your press accreditation for the cup final and uh, everyone's happy days. No, absolutely brilliant news for our town. That's going to bring millions of pounds to the Luton economy. Uh, I mean, the place is going to be bouncing right for, well, from now until the end of May when it takes place. May Bank Holiday Weekend, isn't it? Second May Bank Holiday Weekend. It's uh, a four-day of that as well, by the way, because the big weekend, Radio One Big Weekend, that's three days. They're going to move the carnival to the Monday. So it's a four-day. I mean, that's just brilliant, isn't it? You know, uh, They reckon upwards of 100,000 spectators are going to be there for the um, for the festival, loads. Of, I think it's a four stage thing, isn't it? From, from what I've read, uh, you're going to have global pop acts, you're going to have breakthrough artists, you, whatever your taste of music, you're going to be catered for, and it's all in our town. It's just fantastic. Kudos, huge kudos to everyone involved in bringing something of that magnitude to our town. And yes, Premier League football may well have helped it, but for a town of our size to be on the map in that in that way not just for that week they'll build up to it for weeks and weeks and weeks on end on radio one won't they it was it's their huge event of the year for our town to be documented and profiled like it's going to be just fantastic it is um uh, it's great to have these big events um but don't forget that there are grassroots music stuff happening as well and um depending on when you listen to this independent venue week is still happening at the castle which is a huge it was a huge coup um when it was announced uh, back end of last year and <laughs> this uh radio one big weekend one is a even bigger one but um get along to that if you can this week um because that's uh, uh that's the starting point you like to see your Taylor Swifts and your Ed Sheerans that have played at the big weekend have to start somewhere. And that's the sort of thing where they start. So you need to support that as well. But yeah, what a time to be Lutonian. Indeed. So, yep. 
that's it for this episode of the podcast. Slightly longer episode than we would normally do for a review. But hey, if you can't spend a little bit longer reviewing a <laughs> night like that, when can you spend a little bit longer? And hey, let's be honest, many of you listening or watching have got a bit of a long journey on their hands on Saturday morning. So you've got plenty of time to listen to this one. So we offer no real significant apologies for being a little bit longer. Um, my thanks to James for joining me to recap what was a brilliant night to you for watching and listening however it is that you've consumed this podcast we always really appreciate it subscribers are absolutely flying through the roof now aren't they we're really appreciative mm, of that thanks for that we are waiting for a date for a football match to be rearranged once that's rearranged we will give you full details of the giveaway that we've promised you there is a huge giveaway uh, that's part of that but we just need a date of a football match being rearranged before we can um provide you with all the full details and let you um, enjoy that as we've promised you. Thanks as always to the Hightown Club for hosting this podcast, to Sean Grant and the Wolfgang, who James uh, alluded to just a moment ago, will be playing on Thursday night at the castle. Pop down if you can, if you're watching this before Thursday night, uh, if you enjoy the intro music, doing a full set. So that would be fantastic to see. And obviously also to Ed Smith, the creative for all the designs that you see on set. Until next time, which will be a preview of the big game at Newcastle United, which will be out before the weekend. Till then, come on you hatters. Everyone in it has got these massive souls.